Why can't we pick our own colors? No way, no way. Tried it once, it doesn't work. You get four guys all fighting over who's going to be Mr. Black. But they don't know each other, so nobody wants to back down. No way. I pick. You're Mr. Pink. Be thankful you're not Mr. Yellow. Yeah, but Mr. Brown, that's a little too close to Mr. Shit. Well, Mr. Pink sounds like Mr. Pussy. How about if I'm Mr. Purple? I mean, that sounds good to me. I'll, I'll be Mr. Purple. You're not Mr. Purple. Some guy on some other job is Mr. Purple. You're Mr. Pink. Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. All right, look, if it's no big deal to be Mr. Pink, you want to trade? Hey, nobody's trading with anybody. This ain't a goddamn fucking city council meeting, you know. All right. Uh, when we last left you, we just got done wrapping up uh, True Romance. Uh, now, I can't remember. Did Reservoir Dogs come out first? Yes. Okay. So he made, he took the money he got from True Romance. With True Romance being a big blockbuster, they took their time making it. So this, So that's why True Romance came out later. And then Reservoir Dogs... Um, uh, Reservoir Dogs was released in something like 1992, whereas yeah. True Romance came out in '93, like about a year later. Yeah, so I think that's what pretty much what happened. And obviously, True Romance being a big Hollywood production probably take longer during post production and all that kind of stuff. Where this is certainly a much smaller production uh, than True Romance, but man, does he have a cast? Yes. So, yeah, so if you don't know it yet, we're talking Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I was introduced to this on Laserdisc. Uh, this is a, I got this and Lethal Weapon 3 on Laserdisc one day. And, uh, well, the rest is history. Um, I saw it, I think I saw it after True Romance. But keep in mind... A lot of people didn't know Tarantino wrote True Romance until Tarantino became Tarantino. I became such a big name. Yeah, because a lot of people thought it was just a Hollywood, you know, action film. Where once Pulp Fiction hit the market and Jackie Brown, he started, you know, yeah, hitting it all turrets, firing it all turrets. Then they started promoting it as a Tarantino production. Yes, um, with Tony Scott as the director. So, but. He had to start somewhere, and this is where he started, was the 1992 Reservoir Dogs. Pretty big hit. Massive hit soundtrack. Yeah, but see, uh, apparently it wasn't a very big hit um, in cinemas in America, but it was huge in the UK. It got a very independent release. We, yes. Um, in the States, they have these small city theaters. Uh, Lake Street had an independent theater. It, it was independent. It didn't go in like the QFT in Belfast. Yeah, thing. it didn't go to major markets. It made its money. It made its money, and and it and we talk about cult films a lot. I don't think this is really a cult film. I think this was a hit right out the gate because it still made its money back. And man, did this sound, word of mouth got around. Yes, um, really quickly, and how how good this film is. And like I mentioned a second ago, the soundtrack catapulted it. I think I watched Pulp Fiction first. I got it out on video at the time. And then, being blown away by Pulp Fiction, I then went straight down and then got Reservoir Dogs. I would have been maybe around 18 or so whenever I watched both of them. Uh, I remember getting Pulp Fiction on on LaserDisc. I got the the, uh, Japanese bootleg. Yeah. 
and they had subtitles at the bottom, but I had it when it was still in theaters. Mm-hmm. So everyone came over to watch Pulp Fiction on Laserdisc, and then we watched, you know, obviously, Reservoir Dogs first. So it was always this big event. We're going to Kieran's to see, you know, Tarantino night. Yes. Um, uh, God, those are the days. 95, 90, late, late yeah. 94. Late 94, I think is where that was. Um, but we're going to jump into this one. we got some stuff to talk about. And the one thing about Tarantino is that he's loyal. And what I mean by loyal, we always see Samuel Jackson, Christopher Walken. He'll always pepper in or he'll keep key actors in all of his films. Yeah. Michael Madsen, Tim Roth. Yeah, and this one is obviously uh, the birth of that. Starting with uh, you know Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Harvey Keitel, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and then the other guys, Mr. Blue, Mr. Brown, Holiday, and apparently Lawrence. We'll probably come to it, but apparently, apparently Lawrence Tierney was an absolute nightmare on the set of this. He looks like he'd be. Yeah, like he said like like uh, Tim Roth says to his buddy Holiday. He's like, like thing. A thing. <laughs> uh, but apparently he refused to remember his lines, but behaved aggressively towards all these younger actors. And apparently at one point, Tarantino and him near came to blows, and Tarantino sacked him. Then after the dust settled a bit, um, Turney went home and was actually arrested after shooting up, getting drunk, and shooting up his flat. Um, he was then bailed on the condition that he could go uh, back and work on this film. Jesus. Apparently he's a mad bastard. Like, but, you know, he was one of the last sort of real Hollywood tough guys. But apparently, you know, that's all good and well. We are sort of laughing at But apparently to work with him was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> to, to be fair, to Turney, by the sounds of it, um, there were serious alcohol issues there, you know. Um, but so, you know, who am I to judge, you know, type uh-huh. thing. But at the same time, apparently very difficult man to work with. Uh, you know, I was watching this, and I mean, finally, someone like Harvey Telkel gets his due. Uh, he was the lead in Mean Streets, uh, Scorsese's first film. Um, but De Niro kind of, you know, came to light in that film as well. Overshadowed him exactly, and then we Taxi Driver, where he played the pimp, and obviously De Niro. Um, he always played the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and. He was a background actor. He was a character actor almost. Supporting actor almost, yeah. Yeah, and, but I think it's this film that catapulted him because then we got him as the great scene, the cleaner in Pulp Fiction. Mr. Wolf. Um We got him as uh, Bad Lieutenant. Yes. You know, he he found his niche, and I think this is the film that did it. Because even though all these characters are scumbags, he... Is the most likable. Yeah, there's um, a sort of honor amongst thieves attitude uh, well, to him. I, Old school almost, you know. I think his character has the best arc. We talk about arcs a lot. Yes. And Tarantino, when you watch a Tarantino film, every person is a scumbag or a villain, but there's a likability to him no matter how evil they are. Um, and that's just the way Tarantino works. I mean, we Jesus, we even saw it in True Romance with Drexel. Yep. We like Gary Oldman. We love the Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper sequence. Um, you know, he he does. He, he he just knows. There's no redeeming quality in most of his characters. I would say the only one here would be Mr. Orange. The, the only hero of sorts, you know? Yeah. But even he kind of tanks that a bit when he shoots. Well, we'll get, let's dive into it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this broke out Steve Buscemi as well. Actually, this film broke out quite. Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Steve yes. Buscemi. Uh, we talked Michael Madsen. We did War Games. But at the end of the day, these three actors, Steve Buscemi, Tim Roth, and Michael Madsen, were no names. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have done some stuff here or there. But this is the movie that put them on the map. Hence, moving forward. But Tim Roth's always been a, a Tarantino guy. But Tim Roth says, Tim Roth's kind of went on to play bad guys. God, he plays a good bad guy. Yes. Rob Roy, he was such a good bad guy in that The one. Burton remake of Planet of the Apes as well. He plays the villain. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Theod, yeah. And Steve Buscemi would get this role, and then he'd get Fargo, which would catapult Steve Buscemi. So uh, Michael Madsen's, you know, Kill Bill and so forth yes. and so forth. So everyone in this film, uh, Chris Penn, um, Sally died of an overdose. So uh, yeah. we never got to see more of them, but... It, it, but the same thing with, we talked about Keitel had a rebirth kind of with this film. Mm-hmm. So did Travolta. Yes, with in, Pulp Fiction. In Pulp Fiction. You know? Um, Absolutely. You had all these great characters that were in TV shows that he put in uh, The Hateful Eight. Matt Houston, I remember yep. that he was in it. Um, even though he, he, he never went away. Kurt Jackie, Russell was yeah. in that. Kurt Russell was in that. So kind of reimmersed him a bit. Uh, Janet Lee. I'm sorry, Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes. Also, and and um, Jackie Brown, Robert Forster, Palm Greer. Yep. Uh, Michael Keaton, who he said kind of disappeared for a That's little right. bit, there, is yep. in that, and it's a different role for him. So Tarantino just a knows how to cast, and b he definitely puts if you want your career back on track, get your ass into a Tarantino film. Yeah, he'll do it for you. Uh, Christoph Waltz, like. he, he completely launched a career in the sort of English speaking world of Christoph Waltz. Yeah, he um, yeah, in his fifties too. Yep, he mm-hmm. was a he was a late 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 bloomer. Yeah, certainly within the Western sort of English speaking cinema. Anyway, now this the, the the film is famous for its soundtrack and it's got some you know hooked on a feeling. All, all these great great songs that are very catchy and fun. Um, but what does hurt this film is the DJing. Stephen Wright, who I like as a comedian, <laughs> I really enjoy his stuff, but it, it offers nothing to the film. It's I quite like it, um, and he does speak in that sort of monotone voice that sort of you know old school DJs, um, you know radio presenters would have talked in. So it, it works as a sort of quirk. Um, it don't I don't think it hurts the film. I, I actually quite like it. Well, we talked about how Tarantino's music always kind of played as background to the story. It almost helped narrate the story. This music didn't. This is kind of his first outing where the music played nothing. It was catchy and fun, yeah, but it really had nothing to do more with, of a the, quirk. with the with the yeah with. It was kind of the planting the seed of what's to come. This is K. Billy Super Sounds of the seventies. Keep on trucking. <laughs> you know, St- Stephen Wright performs like that. He's a comedian. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he performs his stuff like that. He's so fucking funny. Yeah. Um, God, the guy's got some great, great, great material. If you guys are, everyone have a good laugh. Listen to Stephen Wright. They all have a favorite, you know, as a comedian. He just says he, he, the same monotone. He's just like you know, like you know, like a, I spilt spot remover on my dog. Now <laughs> I now I can't find him. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I like just, that sort of deadpan type of humor. He is. He, he'd be like, uh, I met my girlfriend at Macy's. I, uh, she was shopping and I was putting slinkies on the escalators. <laughs> what? No, something like that. Um, right back to the film. 
we're quickly introduced to the entire team with the whole Madonna and the whole, the whole tipping scenario. Yes. Um, the best conversation, even over the Madonna thing, is the tipping scenario. Yes, brilliant. I, I thought that was the best conversation in the whole film. Steve Buscemi. And Steve Buscemi. And Steve Buscemi was completely wrong. Um, and Harvey Keitel pretty much gave him the one up and. Oh, it was taters. And, uh, he was just being a taters. Yeah, one dollar. <laughs> and then, and then, um, Calbert, Joe, Joe Calbert, the, the thing. Yeah. Uh, pretty much told him, you yeah. fucking do it. You put the Give money me a dollar, in. you pretty cheap bastard. I paid for your breakfast. <laughs> um, there's a great line where Mr. White. Well, you know what? We're, just, we're not going to call them the names. I'll get confused. We'll just call them yes. by the actors' names. Where Kytel, um, Steve was, is it? No, it was Michael Matson. Michael Matson says something to him. Uh, to pretend, he pretends to shoot him. Yeah. And Harvey Kytel makes the comment, "If you shoot me, in a, uh, you shoot me, you shoot me in a dream. You better wake up and apologize." That's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. Fucking great line. That's yeah. the kind of stuff that's in this film. Yeah. Brilliant dialogue. Uh, Absolutely. And they talk like real sort of, you know, fucking bastard sort of armed robbers would talk, criminals would talk, you know. Um, I think, personally, re-watching it again, for me, um, who actually steals the show is Chris Penn, as Nice Guy Eddie. Yeah, I was going to say that, because Chris Penn, well, you know, they all, they all, they all add something. Yeah, uh, now, the uh, best performance, Ed, the Ed best Bunker performance to me is... Great on it, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, that's why they're killed off right away. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I, I would, I would agree with that. Chris Penn had, he kind of stole it, but the best acting, I mean, the best character is me, is going to be Mr. White, Harvey Keitel. Yeah, I mean, he has the, him and Orange have the best arc, and, and the film is essentially about their relationship. So it is in, you know, how Orange has portrayed him, but the, 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 the still sort of feels a certain loyalty to him. But, um, for me, the best acting and my favorite characters would be Chris Penn's nice guy, Eddie. And uh, Mr. Pink, played by Steve Buscemi. Yeah, I love when I love when they get the fight with the names. That yes. was so hilarious. <laughs> Mr. Man, Quentin Tarantino goes, Mr. Brown. That that's a little too close to Mr. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Pink. I mean, Mr. Purple. That's cool. Someone yep. else has already got Mr. Purple another job. You're Mr. Pink. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, just take the name. Oh, you got Mr. White. You got a cool sounding name. Yeah. Want to trade? It goes, want to trade in. <laughs> and the funny thing is, they, we would be having this conversation if this was us. Oh, yeah. It, it's a realistic conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to so be Mr. After, Pink. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when, they're, when we're introduced to everybody, it's about 10 minutes into the film. And then it cuts right away to just. Chaos. The aftermath of the heist, you know? Yeah. Um, now, I don't know. They obviously use blanks, obviously. But the sound effects on the guns were just sounded so real. Yes. You yes. know, sometimes you get a Hollywood film and kind of just... Yeah, you know, it's basically toy guns, basically. Yeah, but there's something about the way they use these. Because it, it's the rawness of the film. It's the way they shoot them. You know, I mean, I don't mean shoot the film. Shoot the actual guns. It's just so... Um, it's brutal, you know, especially the scene later on where Harvey Keitel, Mr. White, um, shoots the two cops in the car, you know, with yeah. just unloads on them. Yeah. It's brutal. In fact, yeah. all of the scenes where they unload guns, maybe it's a type of gun as well. I don't know. I'm not a sort of um, up to scratch on, you know, brands of guns because I'm not American. <laughs> but um, it, it's just very effectively done and very realistically done. 
it's funny you bring up uh, Kaitel killing the two cops. Everyone besides Buscemi, he wounds one, kills yes. a cop. Yes. Or an innocent person of some sort. Buscemi, and Buscemi's the one who gets away at the end. Yes. You know what's that? Yes. Oh, he, he's the only one who survives. Although it is sort of his ultimate fate is sort of there's ambiguity there, but he's the only one that's not involved in the Mexican standoff at the end and stuff. Um, we'll talk about that because I'm confused at that Mexican Mexican standoff. I had, I had to watch it very closely just to get things clear in my head. There's a yeah, couple I had to of pause things. Pause it, rewind it. Who yes. shot who here? I'll tell yes. you. We'll get into it. Um, now, the whole film is as we as we know, uh, uh, Tim Roth, Harvey Keitel, Bishimi, they meet. And Buscemi says right away, we were set up. Yes. The cops were there way too fast. And Mr. Blonde, Michael Matson, went apeshit. The cops were already at the door. Yes. And so there's no way, because he, this is how great the dialogue is, because obviously Tarantino did his research. He says when you hit an alarm in a bank, and he breaks down how long it actually takes the cops to get there. Mm-hmm. They were outside that door before. In seconds. In seconds. Um, which is nice. And then I kind of wish they didn't reveal right away that Tim Roth was the cop. Well, yeah, it's about halfway through. It's about, remember- yeah, maybe a little, little less. Because I thought it would be kind of fun to play on that a bit. Let the audience, you know, what's going on here. I think it Rath- works. Yeah, it still works. Don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful film. But you know, I just I would like to a little more mystery there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I must admit, the first time I watched it, it was a big shock and surprise for me, and it just, uh, it was sort of, I mean, obviously it has to be one of them, but it was yeah. just, it's just the way it's it's done, and the way it's revealed is brilliant, just as, you know, um, Mr. Blonde's about to basically kill the cop after torturing him, but he's about to set him on fire, burn him alive. And what also works for the film, we talked, I, I, well, I didn't, we, we didn't talk about it, but I thought about it. I'm going to apples and oranges here. Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. All right. Man of Steel got it got it right. And what I mean by Man of Steel, obviously Superman. Yes. The Zack Snyder one. Yes. We're all getting tired of the origin stories. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. I got to sit through this. Well, yeah, he still told the origin story, but he peppered it in through the film. Yes. Kind of had like a retelling or a flashbacks mm-hmm. during all the chaos. Or before the chaos actually starts. They do this here too. And I like that. Because you have all the chaos. All the muddle. All the confusion. Who's done what. What's going on here. But they always cut away. To how Joe and Eddie. um, Got uh, Blonde out of prison. Yes. Basically how they hired them all. And got them involved in the job. All done through through the the flashbacks. During the, the. You know. And I like that. Sometimes you'll have a film kind of drag out the beginning by giving us all this now rather than kind of peppering it in. Well, it's also become a bit of a staple for Tarantino films where um, they're non-linear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they all come full circle at the end. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Paul Fix is famous for it, of course. Yes. And Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. An underrated Tarantino film, by the I way. I think it's one of his best, if not the best. Um, uh, what is his best film? There's so many to choose from. Uh, for me, it would maybe be, you know, I, I think its best ones are as more sort of character-based ones. I know this is actually one of them. But um, possibly Inglorious Bastards, possibly, very possibly Jackie Brown, uh, maybe The Hateful Eight. 
They're all good. Yeah, exactly. And he has the only one. The only one I wouldn't put rank. I, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Death Proof. Yes, I would agree it, either. Even though it's got my boy in it, Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. That movie well. was way too long. I would also say as well that um, the Hateful Eight is in part a remake of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I got more Ten Little Indians out of it mm-hmm. meets Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Hateful Eight is an underrated film. Oh, it's brilliant. So it is. Lo- I brilliant. love Hateful Eight. I love the Hateful Eight. Brilliant film. Um, it pulls no punches, especially with women. Oh, it, it, which it's is nice. It's bonkers. It, it's like it's almost like a pulp horror film, a pulp horror western. It's so you know <laughs> the intensity of the violence and it just. But it, and again, like Reservoir Dogs, it, it, it plays as a stage play as well in, in many ways. Yeah, this could this one location really. Yes, which has a couple flashbacks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I also like the scene where Buscemi tells Keitel, okay, I hear you. Because it sounds like Buscemi's being reasonable. He's yeah. like, okay, let's bring Tim Roth to the uh, to the hospital. Yeah. Let's, let's we'll just drop, drop him, him off. off. If he's okay with that, we'll do that. But then Ivor uh, Keitel tells him, he knows your name. Why? Well, he asked me in the car. He's bleeding to death. I didn't know what to say. Yes. I told him my name. Do you know, you know, and so Buscemi breaks it down where you told him your name, you told him where you're from, you you can't bring him to the hospital now. Buscemi is the smartest character in this film by a long shot. Exactly, because he's the one who's, there's a rat because of the the Mm -hmm. bank alarm and the timing it went off, Mm -hmm. and he broke down, once you told him his name and your location, you just, you know, They'll have a sheet on you, it's not going to take them very long to work out um, who you are. Yeah, so we have... We have to wait now to get him help because you yes. fucked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it, again. I love Mr. Pink. He's, he's the, like the, the sort of he's the real brains. He's an individual. He's a logical thinker. He's uh, yes, he's a selfish, uh, tight um, arsehole at the same time, and a bit of a scumbag. He's a wee runt, but he's just a brilliant character. Now the famous scene where Keitel and Buscemi have to leave. Yes. And they leave Mr. Blonde alone with the cop. Mm-hmm. They cut his ear off. I just thought a little too much. But it cuts and away from it. You don't pun intended. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just, I don't know. I just it is nasty. It, it's Tarantino because Tarantino will go all out. And I, so I can't judge him for it. Um, but the outcome of the scenes is really good. Yeah. Um, because and it's, it's the payoff, you know? It's the, yeah, because you, you almost had to have it. Yes, because when he gets it, that's where you know Tim Ross, the cop. Yes, but plus he felt it, there's also that catharsis for the audience, where um, and for the audience who are, are basically squirming at this torture of the cop, and they're saying, "What this guy's an evil, psychopathic bastard." You know what I mean? And also for Michael Madsen's character, you know, there was all this talk before by Keitel and Bashime about you know this guy's a psycho and stuff. Well, this scene proves it. And uh, so it one hundred percent works. Wes Craven apparently walked out of a screening of this, and Tarantino yep. said that um, I can't believe the director of Last House on the Left um, basically walked out of Reservoir Dogs. And apparently, Wes Craven then defended himself and says, "Well, Last House on the Left was about you know the horrors of violence and how violence begets violence, whereas Reservoir Dogs was just basically he said that it was just words to the effect of it was gratuitous." I don't think it is gratuitous. I don't think it's gratuitous. I think he doesn't. I think what I think what bothers people the most it was a cop. 
Yes. Um, Apparently, so, it really bothered Michael Madsen as well. Do uh, film on the scene. Yeah, and, and so I remember watching it in the and going, "Oh my god, this is intense." And I watch it now. I'm like, "Oh man!" This, I tell you, I tell you, I go, I go, this, this could have been pulled back a little bit. I don't know. I, no, it works, and it, it, it is completely, and it makes complete sense in the overall story and also the character arcs. I remember whenever I had this, I owned this in video. Eventually, when I bought it in video, back when you could buy videos quite cheap. But I remember watching it up in my parents' house. Um, my sisters were quite young at the time and i was watching it around tea time but i watched it um in the sort of you know in the living room on the tv and video there and i remember my dad coming in from work um just as this scene was happening and i remember my dad saying i might dad like you know, gangster films and all that there and i remember i'm like shooting at me and saying turn that off that isn't family entertainment you know because you know, <laughs> and he's right in a way but you know and you know um, <laughs> but yes, it, it. But in the context of this film and the characters, it is necessary and it works. But plus, plus, you don't see the year. You see the aftermath of the year coming off. Oh yeah, it's you know, like I said, he does it. He does it well. Mm-hmm. But I think pouring the gasoline on him would have been enough. It, in the hands of a lesser director, it would have. It would have been. Oh, I don't, don't use the term lesser director. That's not. I mean. I don't know. Sometimes, all right, all right, all right. In the hands of a, of, of a different director, it would it could have a more PC director. <laughs> it could have come across. No, no, maybe no, not uh, uh, maybe um because uh, it's a less PC director. Maybe maybe yeah. in the hands of a lesser director, they would have went for full shock gratu- and gratuity, exactly. especially like back in the Eli 90s. Roth. Yeah, like Eli Roth. Yeah, there you go. Perfect um example. If somebody like Eli Roth, it'd have been cutting his Achilles tendons, and you know what I mean. It'd have been it'd have been just complete, um, you know, gratuitous drivel. But Tarantino, who knows what he's doing, um, all around in terms of writing and directing, and you know, characterization and stuff, there he pulls it off. One of the the, the funnest scenes in the film is where Tim Roth is talking to his boss Holiday. Yeah, and Holiday gives him a script. Yes. And he tells them, this is your character, this is the story, this is your antidote, you got to memorize it, memorize it, memorize it. So each scene, you see him memorizing it, rehearsing it, but each scene gets closer. First he does it in front of Holiday, then we cut to him telling it in front of the in, in front of the gang to get recruited to do this job. Yeah, it's brilliant. You know, he, he keeps telling it in different scenarios, and it, it's so and funny. you see it so, happening inside his head? Yeah, actually when, in the in the commode, the commode story, um, and you see him with the dogs, the dog barking at him, and the yeah. cops in the toilet. Brilliant. And the cops have no clue. Yeah. Um, now, when he shoots uh, Michael Matson before he's going to put the uh, cop Nash on fire. Yes. Nash says, "I met you before. I knew you were a cop." Yes. Um, where, did we ever see him in a flashback again? Or no, we never, no, no. He just told me we knew him. His real name's, he goes, yeah, I know, you're a cop. Freddie Neuendijk, um, we, we were introduced one time, but no, you never see him in any of the flashbacks. I'm just making sure. Yep. Um, so when, this is what you're kind of talking about with Chris Penn's performance. Brilliant. When he comes in with uh, Joe um, and, well, everyone else. Yes. And at this point, Shemmy's hiding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so he goes off on him. You're saying a man who did four years in prison for us could have easily narked on all of us, could have walked away free, 
you're saying he's the mole. He he's betrayed us, mm-hmm. and you can see the look on Tim Roth's face. You've been caught, yeah, uh, and and uh, uh, yeah, Tim Roth's face going, oh shit, good point. <laughs> <laughs> Pan is brilliant in this scene. Yeah, so here's my question. Mm-hmm. You got Joe, you know, thing. Yes, and Eddie pointing the gun. You got Joe pointing the gun at Tim Roth. Mm-hmm. You got Harvey Keitel pointing the gun at Joe, and you've got Eddie pointing the gun at at uh, Keitel. Yes. So he goes get you get that gun out of my father's face. Blah yes. blah blah. Stop pointing the gun at my. Father. So they, I rewound this and mm-hmm. I can't catch it. I think who I shoots? Who shoots Eddie? Uh, uh, Mr. White, Harvey Keitel. I think. No, because he shoots Joe. Yes. Unless he turns after, I think what when Okay, so Joe ends up shooting Ralph again. Yes. He gets shot twice. Then uh, Keitel shots Joe. We see that. Yes. I think what happens, Eddie shot Joe, and it reflex response, Joe turned and shot him. No, no. Well, I mean, that, I mean that, no, that may I be true. Keitel, t- Eddie shot Keitel. But the reflex of the shot hit Keitel. Keitel moved and shot Eddie. My yeah, my that's pretty much my take on it is that um, Joe shoots Orange, uh, then um, Keitel shoots Joe. Eddie then shoots Keitel, Mister White, and then as Mister White's falling down, um, he shoots Eddie. Okay, that's right. We wound it. It looks like it's a reflex shot. Yes. When, yeah. So when Eddie shoots him. His arm jerks around and sh- gets a shot in. But there's something that's bothered me even more for years about this film, which happens before that. Mr. Brown's death. Well, you don't really see him die. Apparently, um, looking into it, reading up on it, apparently um, Mr. Brown is shot as he's before. We don't see him getting shot on camera, um, on the screen. He's then already shot whenever he drives around that corner. But he's just down from the, and crashes the car. Oh, okay, I thought they looked like a head wound, like it was a traumatic head wound. But how would he die from that? It's it's weirdly it. realized, uh, but it appears he was shot possibly by the two cops that get it by Harvey Keitel like moments later. But it always bothered me. Uh, it's a weird fucking yeah. Because yeah, all he did was bang his head. Yeah, and I uh, for years I I wondered like. Because, you know, back then you didn't have, you know, sort of, you know, internet at your fingertips and stuff. I always wondered, well, it sort of bothered me. And I was always, like, trying to work out, did he die because he banged his head after crashing the car? Or was he shot? Because he, there is dialogue where he goes, fucking son of a bitch shot me. You know, and Quentin Tarantino's sort of nerdy voice. Um, um, and then Mr. Orange goes, um, you're not dying, you're going to be okay, or you're not shot or something. And it's just, it's, it's just a weirdly realised scene. Hmm. Yeah, I I, 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 thought about myself when I first saw it. it kind of, I kind of let it go, but even watching it again, I was like, he just banged his head. Yeah, he could still be alive. Even the sequel. <laughs> but, but apparently, he was shot before the car comes around the corner. Okay. They could. I'm surprised Tarantino was a pretty detailed guy. He would have caught you know mm. one line fix. Mm. Maybe. All right. So, Keitel goes to Roth, who now they're both shot. Keitel's still alive though. He's yes. Kind of just wounded. Ralph's still alive, technically. Barely. Yes. Jesus, way too much blood, I think. I think so. <laughs> this isn't the evil dead here, guys. <laughs> but he, he confesses to him before the cops are starting yes. to break into the to the uh, to the uh, warehouse, and he, he confesses to him, "I'm a cop." Yeah. Oh, why did he do that? 
I wish he didn't do that. Nope. Now, when I originally saw this, you never know if he shot him or not, but you hear him shoot him. Oh, yeah. Oh, he definitely cuts does. away. You hear his gun go off, and then the cops shoot him. Yes. So he does kill Tim Roth. Yes. Um, I'm tired. I'm sorry, man. We talked about Buscemi, and Buscemi was really good in this, mm-hmm. and so was Chris Penn and all. But I'll tell you what, man. I'm still going with Keitel. Keitel's performance in that scene is brilliant. It, it was almost, but I think it was a case of um, you sort of, maybe even in retrospect, you expect it from Keitel because he basically, he's the main guy holding the film together. Um, especially with him and Mr. Orange's relationship, you know, with Tim Roth. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there was definitely other standouts, like, you know, uh, Buscemi, Chris Payne, even Michael Madsen. Although, Michael Madsen's just a... I don't actually very rate Michael Madsen much as an actor. No, he's not a good actor. No, I mean, he, no. he plays a bully. Yeah, yeah. But definitely for the acting chops for me on this rewatch for the podcast, Payne. Especially that scene you're talking about there, you know, where he comes in. Are you telling me this man... Who's been fucking loyal to us? You tell him that he's gonna fucking rat on us. He goes, well, now why don't you tell me what really fucking happened? It's yeah. a brilliantly played scene, Bob. Yeah, um, I mean, I think you and I are on both the same page with the yeah. Reservoir Dogs. I mean, uh, I'll just copy yeah. and paste what you're about to say. Yeah, it's well written, well acted, well paced. The cutting of the flashbacks is perfectly implemented. They've got likable bad guys we should you should we should be spitting on yeah <laughs> i mean it's yeah. it's it's just it's it's kudos across the board yeah i didn't like the radio dj i thought that was kind of silly didn't make any sense it didn't really add anything to the story well, can i just like say most of, like yeah. most of the soundtracks do who switches and the radio off after um mr blonde gets shot nobody does it should have been still playing what Whenever Mr. Blonde gets shot by Mr. Orange, after he's doing the whole dance and the torture stuff, you know, with um, Stuck in the Middle with You, um, nobody actually switches the radio off. So technically, well, not even technically, it should still be on the radio. It's it's an error. Wasn't he, wasn't he, didn't he knock it down when he got shot? No, sure, he was in a different part of the room. So he was, it, it's, it's a, it is an error. No, I didn't catch it. Not unless the, just by wow, that, you just ruined Reservoir Dogs. Just by not unless at that exact moment that he was shot, the um, radio batteries run out. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah, there you go. Perfect fix. There, there you, you go. go. I, I would like to say as well, it's also apparently, um, well, not apparently, but Tarantino's admitted it, heavily inspired by a Chinese film called City on Fire. Okay. There you go. <laughs> well, there you are. Well, Tarantino's stuff comes from somewhere. Oh, it always does. Yeah. He, he knows that. Yeah. Uh, he's up on a yeah. bed. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it, this goes without saying. No one's going to come in. We're not, we're not going to review this film at all and hate it. There's, yes. There's, there's nothing really to hate uh, besides some minor grubs, you know, Mr. Brown's supposed death and the DJ. That's yeah. pretty much it. Um, very minor, minor. Actually, we're, we're talking about this before the podcast, just literally before this podcast. Um, we're so into our little gritty gangster kind of hooded them violence that we want we're gonna we're gonna pepper in assault and precinct 13 <laughs> yeah um john carpenter's classic brilliant and uh kind of stick on the groove of like true romance reservoir yeah. dogs what would be a nice send-off to do the original one of the originals assault and precinct 13 yeah um inspired by howard hawks yes that's right Real Tar- t- yeah uh john carpenter's idol mm-hmm so, uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, uh, um, sorry, I would just like to add one sort of extra note. Uh, as much as I love Tarantino as a writer, 
and director i think he's you know one of the, the greatest um you know um uh, you know a true star at writing and directing by fuck he cannot act <laughs> you know? oh yeah it's true <laughs> but you know what in pulp fiction he's quite funny oh he's hilarious in pulp fiction it's um, jimmy but I think he knows he can't. I think that's what makes it fun. Because <laughs> yeah. he's winking at us when he's yeah. doing it. His Austra- Australian accent and Django Unchained is unreal. Oh, that was horrible. That was bad. <laughs> but again, I think it's deliberate. Yeah. You know, he has a tendency to put, you know, we just talked about it. He has, he puts humor during very, that could be very awkward scenes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there you go. Uh, listen guys, uh, thanks, uh, for giving us a listen. You can always, uh, follow us on citizen frame underscore podcast. And of course on Facebook. And yes, the website is still in, in development. It's been in development for, for years, <laughs> but, but we're getting there. We're getting there. All I have to do is hit publish. Well, I don't think we're ready for that yet. <laughs> There'll be a grand opening at some point soon. Exactly. With all the fanfare. Exactly. Um, the new issue of Phantasmagoria is coming out real soon. What end of the month? Uh, end of February. Yes. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It'll be, be- the start be- of March, beginning of March. Yeah. yeah. I keep forgetting there's only twenty eight days. Yeah, it's a short month. Yeah. There you go. Um, so check that out. Uh, we'll obviously talk more about it at, as it gets released. Yes. And uh, we're gonna wrap this one up. We'll see you next time with Assault on Precinct Thirteen. And then get ready because the new screams coming out. Ooh. It's the longest of the screams, and they're saying the early reviewers are saying, "Wow!" So, really looking forward to it. But I'm not going to watch any more trailers. I'm not going to read anything more about it. I'm just going to go, and hopefully not be disappointed. But if it's a piece of shit, you will Trevor, be disappointed. Trevor <laughs> will probably like it because he he loves piece of shit. <laughs> And the reason I say that because I just got done listening to one of our podcasts, the uh, stop of my mama shoot, and he thought it was a masterpiece. So one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah, that and Return to Salem's Lot. Yeah, brilliant, genius so. they are. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll chat soon. Uh, uh-uh, I don't tip. You don't tip? No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping? Do you know what these chicks make? They make shit. Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. <laughs> I don't even know a fucking Jew would have the ball to say that. Now, let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. Uh, it's for the birds. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. What's special? Take you in the back and suck your dick. I'd go over 12% for that.